Section 61 of The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Irma Martin. The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. Part 2, Book the Third, Chapter 3, Where the Passerby Reappears. The Green Box, as we have just seen, had arrived in London. It was established at Southwark. Ursus had been tempted by the bowling green, which had one great recommendation, that it was always fair day there, even in winter. The Dome of St. Paul's was a delight to Ursus. London, take it all in all, has some good in it. It was a brave thing to dedicate a cathedral to St. Paul. The real cathedral saint is St. Peter. St. Paul is suspected of imagination. In matters ecclesiastical, imagination means heresy. St. Paul is a saint only with extenuating circumstances. He entered heaven only by the artist's door. A cathedral is a sign. St. Peter is the sign of Rome, the city of the dogma. St. Paul, that of London, the city of schism. Ursus, whose philosophy had armed so long that it embraced everything, was a man who appreciated these shades of difference, and his attraction towards London arose perhaps from a certain taste of his for St. Paul. The yard of the Tadcaster Inn had taken the fancy of Ursus. It might have been ordered for the green box. It was a theatre ready-made. It was a square, with three sides built round, and a wall forming the fourth. Against this wall was placed the green box, which they were able to draw into the yard, owing to the height of the gate. A large wooden balcony, roofed over and supported on posts, on which the rooms of the first story opened, ran round the three fronts of the interior façade of the house, making two right angles. The windows of the ground floor made boxes, the pavement of the court the pit, and the balcony the gallery. The green box, reared against the wall, was thus in front of a theatre. It was very like the globe, where they played Othello, King Lear, and the Tempest. In a corner behind the green box was a stable, Ursus had made his arrangements with the tavern-keeper, Master Nicholas, who, owing to his respect for the law, would not admit the wolf without charging him extra. The placard, Gwynplaine the Laughing Man, taken from its nail in the green-box, was hung up close to the sign of the inn. The sitting-room of the tavern had, as we have seen, an inside door which opened into the court. By the side of the door was constructed, off-hand, by means of an empty barrel, a box for the money-taker, who was sometimes Phoebe and sometimes Phenos. This was managed much as at present. Pay and pass in. Under the placard announcing the laughing man was a piece of wood, painted white, hung on two nails, on which was written in charcoal in large letters the title of Ursus' grand piece, Chaos Vanquished. In the center of the balcony, precisely opposite the green box, and in a compartment having for entrance a window reaching to the ground, there had been partitioned off a space for the nobility. It was large enough to hold in two rows ten spectators. We are in London, said Ursus. We must be prepared for the gentry. He had furnished this box with the best chairs in the inn, and had placed in the center a grand armchair of yellow Utrecht velvet, with a cherry-colored pattern, in case some alderman's wife should come. They began their performances. 
The crowd immediately flocked to them, but the compartment for the nobility remained empty. With that exception, their success became so great that no mountebank memory could recall its parallel. All Southwark ran in crowds to admire the laughing man. The Merry Andrews and mountebanks of Tarinzo Field were aghast at Gwynplaine. The effect he caused was as that of a sparrowhawk flapping his wings in a cage of goldfinches and feeding in their seed trough. Gwynplaine ate up their public. Besides the small fry, the swallowers of swords and the grimace-makers, real performances took place on the green. There was a circus of women, ringing from morning till night with a magnificent peal of all sorts of instruments, psalteries, drums, rebecks, micamons, timbrels, reeds, dulcimers, gongs, chevrettes, bagpipes, German horns, English eschequels, pipes, flutes, and flagellates. In a large round tent were some tumblers, who could not have equaled our present climbers of the Pyrenees, Dulma, Bordenavi, and Melonga, who from the peak of Pierrefitte descend to the plateau of Limacon, an almost perpendicular height. There was a travelling menagerie, where was to be seen a performing tiger, who, lashed by the keeper, snapped at the whip and tried to swallow the lash. Even this comedian of jaws and claws was eclipsed in success. Curiosity, applause, receipts, crowds, the laughing man monopolized everything. It happened in the twinkling of an eye. Nothing was thought of but the green box. Chaos vanquished is chaos victor, said Ursus, appropriating half Gwynplaine's success, and taking the wind out of his sails, as they say at sea. That success was prodigious. Still, it remained local. Fame does not cross the sea easily. It took a hundred and thirty years for the name of Shakespeare to penetrate from England into France. The sea is a wall, and if Voltaire, a thing which he very much regretted when it was too late, had not thrown a bridge over to Shakespeare, Shakespeare might still be in England, on the other side of the wall, a captive in insular glory. The glory of Gwynplaine had not passed London Bridge. It was not great enough yet to re-echo throughout the city, at least not at first. But Southwark ought to have sufficed to satisfy the ambition of a clown. Ursus said, The money-bag grows palpably bigger. They played Ursus, Rusus, and Chaos Vanquished. Between the acts, Ursus exhibited his power as an engastromist and executed marvels of ventriloquism. He imitated every cry which occurred in the audience. A song, a cry, enough to startle, so exact the imitation, the singer or the crier himself. And now and then he copied the hubbub of the public, and whistled as if there were a crowd of people within him. These were remarkable talents. Besides this, he harangued like Cicero, as we have just seen, sold his drugs, attended sickness, and even healed the sick. Southwark was enthralled. Ursus was satisfied with the applause of Southwark, but by no means astonished. They are the ancient Trinobantes, he said. Then he added, I must not mistake them, for delicacy of taste, for the Atrobates, who people Berkshire, or the Belgians, who inhabited Somersetshire, nor for the Parisians, who founded York. At every performance the yard of the inn, transformed into a pit, was filled with a ragged and enthusiastic audience. It was composed of watermen, chairmen, coachmen, 
and bargemen and sailors just ashore spending their wages in feasting and women in it there were felons ruffians and blackguards who were soldiers condemned for some crime against discipline to wear their red coats which were lined with black inside out and from thence the name of blackguard which the french turn into blaggers all these flowed from the street into the theatre and poured back from the theatre into the tap the emptying of tankards did not decrease their success amidst what is usual to call the scum there was one taller than the rest bigger stronger less poverty-stricken broader in the shoulders dressed like the common people but not ragged admiring and applauding everything to the skies clearing his way with his fists wearing a disordered periwig swearing shouting joking never dirty and at need ready to blacken an eye or pay for a bottle this frequenter was the passer-by whose cheer of enthusiasm had been recorded this connoisseur was suddenly fascinated and had adopted the laughing man he did not come every evening but when he came he led the public applause grew into acclamation success rose not to the roof for there was none but to the clouds for there were plenty of them which clouds seeing that there was no roof sometimes wept over the masterpiece of ursus his enthusiasm caused ursus to remark this man and gwynplaine to observe him they had a great friend in this unknown visitor ursus and gwynplaine wanted to know him at least to know who he was one evening ursus was in the side scene which was the kitchen door of the green box seeing master nicholas standing by him showed him this man in the crowd and asked him do you know that man of course i do who is he a sailor what is his name said gwynplaine interrupting tom jim jack replied the innkeeper then as he redescended the steps at the back of the green box to enter the inn master nicholas let fall this profound reflection so deep as to be unintelligible what a pity that he should not be a lord he would make a famous scoundrel otherwise although established in the tavern the group in the green box had in no way altered their manner of living and held to their isolated habits except a few words exchanged now and then with the tavern keeper they held no communication with any of those who were living either permanently or temporarily in the inn and continued to keep to themselves since they had been at southwark gwynplaine had made it his habit after the performance and the supper of both family and horses when ursus and dea had gone to bed in their respective compartments to breathe a little the fresh air of the bowling green between eleven o'clock and midnight a certain vagrancy in our spirits impels us to take walks at night and to saunter under the stars there is a mysterious expectation in youth therefore it is that we are prone to wander out in the night without an object at that hour there was no one in the fairground except perhaps some reeling drunkard making staggering shadows in dark corners the empty taverns were shut up and the lower room in the tadcaster inn was dark except where in some corner a solitary candle lighted a last reveller an indistinct glow gleamed through the window shutters of the half-closed tavern as gwynplaine pensive content and dreaming happy in a haze of divine joy passed backwards and forwards in front of the half-open door of what was he thinking of dea of nothing 
of everything of the depths. He never wandered far from the green box, being held as by a thread to death. A few steps away from it was far enough for him. Then he returned, found the whole green box asleep, and went to bed himself. End of section 61